evidence and answers. The two most prominent cities mentioned throughout the Bible are Jerusalem and Babylon. Today, the ancient city of Babylon lies in ruins, but the Bible predicts she will arise once again. When will she rise again? And what role will the city play at the end of the age? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucaran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Let's tune in now as Pat and Bible scholar Dr. Ron Rhodes discuss the rise of the new Babylon. And the point that's being made in that passage is that false paganized religion influenced all of those empires and this reference to the seven hills is just basically a metaphorical way of describing these different kingdoms influenced by false religion and so it's not literal it's not literal seven hills like rome would have but rather it's a metaphor and so you know those are some of the problems that i would have with that viewpoint again i don't divide over that issue some of my friends hold to that viewpoint but i just don't think it meshes well with scripture yes and there's another popular view here is that Babylon here refers to the Roman Catholic Church. Now, what are some problems you see with that view? Well, yeah, you know, this view became super popular back in the Reformation period. And the idea was that the Roman Catholic Church was unfaithful and was a, you know, forgive the use of the word prostitute. That's the word that's actually used in Scripture. And the word prostitute carries the idea of corruption, a corruption of Christianity. And so the reformers thought that that fit well with the Roman Catholic Church. And you also find reference in the book of Revelation to clothing made of purple and scarlet. And there's references to various kinds of gems. And some people have thought that maybe that looks like some of the cardinals affiliated with the Roman Catholic Church. And the reference in Revelation to how the woman was drunk from the blood of the saints may refer to Roman Catholics, uh, you know, persecution and even martyrdom of countless Protestant Christians throughout history. That's the idea that many people have had through the years. But, you know, there's a lot of problems with this Roman Catholic viewpoint, too. First of all, even though the Roman Catholic Church is a wealthy church, it is certainly not the global, economic, and commercial, and political powerhouse described in Revelation 18. Roman Catholicism has never ruled over all the political leaders of the world and the nations of the world, as will be true of Babylon in the end times. And furthermore, if Roman Catholicism were destroyed, I hardly think that the merchants and the businessmen and the presidents and the kings and the leaders of the world would woefully lament as they do when New Babylon will be destroyed in the future. Nor has Roman Catholicism engaged in slave trade, as does New Babylon. I mean, really, there's just one point after another that I could make here. Now, Pat, don't get the idea that I'm, I'm defending the problems that are in Roman Catholicism. I've written two books on Roman Catholicism, pointing out the doctrinal problems with Roman Catholicism. And so nobody could ever accuse me of being soft on Roman Catholicism. But I don't think Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18 is a reference to the Roman Catholic Church. There's just too much that goes against that idea. You know, another more recent view with the rise of what's going on in the Middle East is that Babylon refers to the city of Mecca and that the Antichrist will perhaps be a Muslim. 
Now, what are some problems you see with that view? Well, that is a more popular view these days. It's uh, championed by my friend Joel Richardson, and though I uh, really like Joel a lot as a Christian, I certainly uh, have a lot of differences with him on this issue. He does believe that Mecca will be Babylon in the end times, and that the Antichrist will be a Muslim, and that the Antichrist will impose the false religion of Islam upon the entire world. As for problems with this viewpoint, I don't think that this really properly accounts for the Ezekiel invasion that we read about in Ezekiel 36 through 39. When the Muslim nations such as Iran and Sudan and Turkey and Libya and other Muslim nations invade Israel, God will utterly destroy the Muslim invaders. And in fact, it says that God will rain down fire on Magog and on all your allies who live safely on the coasts. And that's referring to Muslim lands. And this likely refers not just to military targets, but also religious centers and mosques and madrasas and Islamic schools and universities and you know, everything else that's anti-God. And I believe that, uh, Pat, this is probably an outworking of the ancient Abrahamic covenant where God said, I will bless those who bless you, Israel, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. So here's the big question for you. How will it be possible for a Muslim Antichrist and a Muslim Babylon, Mecca, to rise from the ashes in the aftermath of the Ezekiel invasion? I don't think it will be possible. Not only that, but Daniel 9.26 indicates that the Antichrist will not be a Muslim, but will be a Roman from the people who destroyed Jerusalem and its temple. And uh, it is certainly inconceivable that the Jewish nation would trust their security to a Muslim leader that represents a number of nations who want to push Israel into sea and to wipe Israel off the map. It just doesn't seem to fit to have this idea of a Muslim antichrist heading up a Muslim Babylon, so to speak. So again, I, I respect my friends who may hold to this viewpoint, but to me there's just too much biblically that stands against it. Yes, and to expound on what you're saying, Ezekiel 38-39, the prophecy of Gog and Magog, it's a huge Muslim coalition including countries you know, like Iran, the biggest Muslim nation out there, Turkey, Libya, and others. And this battle you're talking about occurs early, you know, right after the rapture, just before the tribulation starts. These are just the major cities that are mentioned, uh, major nations that are mentioned. Right. Perhaps other less prominent nations that also join the coalition, and they are wiped yes. out, you know, early in the tribulation. And then they turn around and say, well, and just a year or two later, they become the powerhouse nation of the world. Makes it an unlikely scenario, as you're saying. Well, you know, and it's interesting the way that it's described in Ezekiel, Pat. There's this massive invasion. You know, if you look at Israel, it's like 9,000 square miles. It's like the size of New Jersey, surrounded by millions and millions of Arab Muslim territory. And so this massive Muslim invasion is taking place. And if you can imagine just countless Muslims invading into Israel, shouting out Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, you know, and, and they're trying to give glory to Allah in this invasion. And all of a sudden, the one true God steps up and destroys the invading forces. You see, the book of Ezekiel tells us that God will give a mighty testimony of his power in that day so that people all around the world will know that this was an act of God that destroyed the Muslim invaders. You might look at it this way. God's deliverance of Israel from the mighty Egyptians was deliverance part one. 
Deliverance part two will be God's mighty deliverance of Israel from the Muslim invaders in this Ezekiel invasion. And you're right, God's destruction will be comprehensive. And how a world empire, and not just a political empire, but a world religious empire could rise from the ashes of that destruction seems inconceivable. Yes, and you know, one of the strongest critics of those of us who interpret Revelation literally, uh, we are in the premillennial camp, but one of the strongest critics are our friends, the preterists, who believe that the book of Revelation is fulfilled in the first century with the fall of Jerusalem. And so the preterists view this new Babylon is the first century Jerusalem. What are some problems you see with that interpretation? Well, you know, that is a popular viewpoint, uh, and the idea there was is that the covenants made with Israel depended upon Israel's faithfulness. But Israel was unfaithful, and because Israel was unfaithful, Israel was viewed as a prostitute. And so the language in the uh, book of Revelation referring to the prostitute must refer to Jerusalem. We know also that Jerusalem was responsible for killing Old Testament prophets, and so therefore this seems to fit Babylon. That's basically the argumentation that's given. But again, there are many, many problems against this viewpoint. First of all, the evidence is solidly against the idea that the book of Revelation predates A.D. 70, you know, as if Jerusalem's fall under the Romans was the fulfillment of a book of Revelation written prior to that time. That's just not the way it happened. Revelation was written in the 90s, and the evidence really does support that. Uh, for example, Irenaeus in the second century declared that Revelation had been written towards the end of the reign of Domitian, and that was like toward 96 AD. That's pretty late. That's far after 70 AD. And then later writers like Clement of Alexandria and Origen and Victorinus and Eusebius and Jerome all affirm this late date of the book of Revelation. And so it hardly seems feasible to say that this book of Revelation written in the mid to late 90s refers prophetically to an event that took place 25 years previous. There's also details about the uh, false religion, which is called a prostitute, that simply do not fit Jerusalem. For example, this so-called prostitute is said to rule over many waters, meaning that it exercises control over the many nations of the world. Pat, when did Jerusalem ever rule over the many nations of the world? That's preposterous. It's more accurate to say that the nations of the world have ruled over Jerusalem, and that's what we call the times of the Gentiles. Gentile dominion over Jerusalem, which will finally end at the second coming of Christ. Uh, scripture also indicates that this prostitute influences not just world leaders, but the general population of the world. When did Jerusalem did this? Revelation 17.3 tells us that this false religion or prostitute controls the Antichrist and his forces for a time. How is it feasible to say that Jerusalem will control the Antichrist and his military forces. It just doesn't make good sense. Furthermore, here's the killer. You know, Revelation 18 indicates that Babylon will be so utterly and completely destroyed that it will never rise again and will be just like Sodom and Gomorrah. But guess what? Jerusalem has already been rebuilt. Not only that, Jerusalem will rise to great prominence during Christ's future millennial kingdom. 
And so the point that I'm making, Pat, is that, again, the facts of Scripture simply do not fit this interpretation set forth by the preterists, just like Scripture also rejects some of the other viewpoints that we've looked at. And that reminds me of something, Pat, and that is we ought to always test everything against Scripture, just like the Bereans did. Test everything against Scripture. Don't take Pat Zucran's viewpoint for, for granted or mine. Don't take Ron Rhodes for granted and then assume that he's right. Test everything against Scripture, because Scripture is our only basis of authority. Yes, uh, we're talking with Dr. Ron Rhodes on his new book, New Babylon Rising, a fascinating book in the future of the city of Babylon and its role in the end times. Now, Ron, there's another interpretation that has come along that Babylon is the city of New York. What's the problem with that interpretation? Well, you know, I've heard this interpretation as well, you know, and the idea there is that New York is very rich and it's a dominant economic power and there's lots of immorality in New York with sins piled up as high as heaven. And we also know that New York is a great city and a port city. In other words, it's, it's next to the sea. And so therefore, it is argued that New York and Babylon must be one and the same. Uh, however, I would say that the great majority of interpreters don't give that viewpoint too much credence. For example, it can hardly be said of New York City, as it can be of New Babylon in the future, that in your streets flowed the blood of the prophets and of God's holy people, and the blood of people slaughtered all over the world. You know, we don't see the blood of the prophets and the apostles in New York City. That just never happened. And also, New York does not represent a global religion, nor is it any way religious. It's not going to set forth any kind of a religion, let alone a false religion. Not only that, but Babylon in the end times is said to be located in a desert or wilderness. Now, Pat, you've been to New York, right? Yes. It's definitely not in a wilderness. In fact, it's a concrete city. Everything around it is concrete. And so there's nothing even remotely related to being in a desert or a wilderness for New York City. So again, the facts of Scripture simply go against the idea. Now, is so the evidence seems to point the best interpretation seems to be a literal city of Babylon. Now, Ron, there's a distinction that we need people to understand between the revived Roman Empire, you know, the ten horns on the beast, and Babylon. So could you explain that distinction for us there at the end times? Well, yes. Let me just say that the Antichrist is going to first come into power with a revived Roman Empire. This is going to be his launch pad, as it were, into global dominion. And in the first part of the tribulation period, there's going to be a false religious system that's affiliated with uh, Babylon, or what we might call New Babylon. And this false religion, I believe, is going to be used by the Antichrist to bring unity to the people of the world. So again, he starts out in this revived Roman Empire, and he uses the religion associated with New Babylon to start to bring total unity to the people of the world. But a big change happens at the midpoint of the tribulation period, which is three and a half years into the tribulation period. You see, at that point, the Antichrist himself claims to be God. He has no further use for this false religion associated with New Babylon. And so he does away with the false religion of New Babylon because he wants himself to be worshipped. He doesn't want any competing worship to take place. And it's at that time that New Babylon switches its entire focus from that of false religion 
to becoming a commercial and political center of the Antichrist. And I believe that the Antichrist will head up that political center. And here's the thing to keep in mind about it, Pat. Babylon is going to be a money machine in the second half of the tribulation period. It is going to be a commercial powerhouse. Money will be flowing in and money will be flowing out. And anybody associated with New Babylon is going to get rich in the second half of the tribulation period. That's what scripture seems to indicate. But we also know from other scriptures in Revelation 13 that the Antichrist is going to impose an economic system on the world such that you must take the mark of the beast. And only people who receive the mark of the beast will be able to buy or sell. If you don't take the mark of the beast, you cannot buy or sell. So what does that mean for New Babylon? It means that anybody who sells to New Babylon must necessarily have already taken the mark of the beast. And so not only does the Antichrist control New Babylon, he also controls the economy of the world with nobody being able to buy or sell who has not indicated faithfulness to the Antichrist by receiving his mark. And so that really catapults him into global power, both religiously and politically and economically. And so he's going to have total control over the people. Yes. Now, is it feasible that the Antichrist will be able to rebuild this great city of Babylon, you know, during the tribulation period? That's probably one of the biggest objections to the idea that it will be a literal Babylon. But I want you to recall with me that when the late Saddam Hussein was in power, he spent over $1 billion in oil money to enhance the city of Babylon. And in his case, a billion dollars accomplished the revival of the city in a rather rapid fashion. Now, when the Antichrist comes into power during the tribulation period and then into world power in the second half of the tribulation period, he will not only have unlimited funding, but he will have an unlimited workforce. Now, the problem with buildings today, Pat, is that you have limited funding and a limited workforce and that's why you can take a long time for a building project to become completed. But if you have unlimited funding and an unlimited workforce, then he'll be able to accomplish this quite quickly. And I could promise you that whatever the Antichrist wants, the Antichrist will get. I personally believe that the money that's going to finance all of this is going to be the oil money that comes from the Middle East. In fact, one of the reasons why the Antichrist is probably going to set up headquarters in the Middle East in New Babylon is to control the oil reserves of the entire planet. If there's one thing that we've learned in terms of military, you know, not just national military of the U.S., but the militaries of all the different countries of the world, is that they all need oil. The jets need oil, the ships need oil, the tanks need oil, the Humvees need oil, everything needs oil. And you need gasoline. I mean, you need all kinds of fuel. Now, just think about it. What better way to put a chokehold on the different militaries of the world than to control the outflow of oil? And I think that's exactly what the Antichrist is going to do as he heads up New Babylon. He's going to control the haves and the have-nots in terms of who gets the, the uh, remaining oil supplies. And he'll use that as a means of controlling the governments of the world. And so uh, I, I think that that oil money, the profits that comes from that, will be what finances the rapid building of the new Babylon. Yes. Now, Ron, you mentioned you know, how Saddam Hussein poured millions, if not billions, into the rebuilding of the ancient city of Babylon. And 
Are there any indications today that perhaps Babylon is rising once again? Well, what we do see today is what you might call a convergence of biblical prophecies, not just one, but many different biblical prophecies. What I'm seeing is, number one, I'm seeing the religious aspect of Babylon having the stage being set in our own day. If it's true that there's going to be a false religion associated with Babylon in the first half of the tribulation, then what we would expect today is false prophets and false apostles and false teachers and false doctrine. And we'd also expect to see apostasy in the Christian church. And we're actually seeing every one of those things setting the stage for the false religion of the end times. Now, we're not seeing so much in terms of the preparation for the political and economic Babylon that will take place at the midpoint of the tribulation, but really that's as we would expect it to be, right? Because they've not yet made a transition. They're going to make a transition in their emphasis. And I might mention to you, Pat, that this is pretty common in the world. Just look at some of the major companies of our world. Nokia, for example, was originally a pulp mill company that made paper. The company later bounced around a number of industries before getting serious about phones, and so now they're a phone company. They changed their emphasis. They followed a business principle that says adapt or die, out with the old and in with the new. Wrigley's gum, I mean, they originally used to sell soap and baking powder. They gave out chewing gum as sort of a uh, enticement to their customers, but eventually their customers liked the gum more than the baking powder, and so they switched. Adapt or die, out with the old and in with the new. That's what New Babylon's going to do. Once the Antichrist sets up a false religion, out with the old religion and in with the new, the commercial powerhouse of the end times. Now, we're not seeing any stage being set right at this moment for that commercial powerhouse, but we are seeing the stage being set for religious Babylon, which will arise in the first half of the tribulation period. And uh, it's kind of scary when you look at it, because even within the Christian church, the apostasy has never been higher, which is one reason why we need apologetics ministries like never before. Ron, do you think the war in Iraq and what's going on in the Middle East has any significance with the rise of Babylon? Well, I do. And also, I, I think it also has a lot to do with the Ezekiel invasion, you know, both of those things. In terms of the Ezekiel invasion, what's interesting is that you know, even just this last month, new agreements have been signed between Russia and Turkey and Iran. You know, it used to be that, that Turkey was solidly in the Western camp, you know, very favorable to the United States. But isn't it interesting that Russia has renewed commitments and signed new agreements this past month with both uh, Turkey as well as Iran. And so those alliances are being built up such that one day that Ezekiel invasion will take place. Russia will join with Muslim nations against Israel at some point in the not-too-distant future. Now, in terms of the rise of Babylon, I do see that Babylon itself is separate from the nations that invade into Israel. One thing that I want to communicate is that even though the Ezekiel invasion will, will be very destructive to the Muslim nations, that is not going to stop the ability of the Antichrist to move into that part of the world and subsume control of the oil wells and to rebuild ancient Babylon. In fact, what we might surmise, Pat, is that the destruction of the Muslims who used to live there opens the door for his rapid escalation. 
Now just think about how it all fits together, even in terms of the false religion of New Babylon. What are the two big groups that would stand against this false religion of the end times? Christians and Muslims. Now, if Christians are removed at the rapture before the tribulation period, and if God removes the Muslim invaders and the Muslim nations at the Ezekiel invasion, that removes the two primary religious groups that would stand against the rise of the false religion associated with New Babylon. And so in a way that prepares the way for the rise of New Babylon's false religion. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, please give him a call. Locally in Hawaii, that number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts, like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share it with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. <laughs>